Hello and good afternoon. I'm your host today, Abner Belsky. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Please welcome Mr. Jim Gray, who's an Emmy Award-winning journalist, reporter, and sportscaster. He's interviewed everyone from Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, to Kobe Bryant, and plenty more. He has covered huge sporting events, such as the Winter and Summer Olympics, the NCAA Final Four, the Super Bowl, and several World Series. He's an author of a recently published book called Talking to Goats, which I read in under a week, and I'm going to be frank with you all. It's an incredible book and a real page-turner, and I really highly recommend it, so go check it out. Thank you so much, Mr. Gray, for joining me on my podcast today, so let's begin. I'm just going to jump right into it. The first question is, we, know, we all know about the famous bite fight that went on between Tyson and Holyfield. You were the one who got the first interview in with Tyson right after the bite fight took place. Can you tell us a little bit about the interview and some of the details and what you were hoping to accomplish? Sure. First, I want to thank you, Abner, for having me on. You're a very thank impressive you. young man, Mr. Belsky. You thank wrote, you. You wrote into one of the social media networks and uh, <laughs> you, you took all that initiative. And, and so here we are. So thank you for having me on your program. I went on your web page uh, before we uh, we did this to see who you had spoken to. And wow, it's 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 really fantastic what you're doing. And so to answer your question, um, you know, I, I wasn't really trying to accomplish anything that night. I was just trying to ascertain the information that was in front of us. And when a, a man bites another man's earlobe off, you usually don't have that information or that material to work with. So uh, <laughs> in terms of accomplishment, I was just trying to understand why a guy would do that to another guy in the form of a boxing match. And so, uh, you know, when you're doing that, uh, Avner, what you're trying to do is find out why he did it. Uh, what the repercussions are for doing it, what caused him and led him to do that, and then go from there just by listening and, and trying to follow up and, and trying to get as much information uh, as you can. So uh, the goal that night was really simple. Uh, get Mike Tyson to talk about it. And then, you know, after that, you know, just have the questions uh, in your head of what had transpired in front of us. Well, no one has ever bitten anybody else's ear off. Hadn't happened before. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, it hadn't happened before. Nothing particularly by the youngest heavyweight champion ever uh, <laughs> in, in a championship fight with the Vander Holyfield, uh, certainly. And nothing like that has happened since. And we're now coming up on 23 or 24 years ago. So um, the material kind of spoke for itself. And uh, fortunately, you know, I've always felt good about this, Abner, just just from the standpoint of, you know, I'm glad I didn't screw that one up. <laughs> that was that's one that they're going to play forever and ever and ever. And you rarely have those opportunities. Uh, so fortunately, I I, you know, was able to get Mike to uh, talk about what had happened. And it's the only time I'd ever seen in my career actually saw another man's uh, skull because the gash over his right eye was so deep you could see the orbital bone the white of that orbital bone so you know it was a was a difficult moment for mike but i've always admired and respected the fact that he uh, he came out and answered the questions he didn't run to a pr a staff person he didn't hide behind a lawyer he didn't say i can't talk because of the nevada state athletic commission he came out as despicable as it was uh, mr belsky and he said I'm going to answer these questions. So he did. So that's that was what I was trying to accomplish, just to get him to talk. That's awesome. And what what was the reason behind him uh, biting off the other man's ear? Well, he had been headbutted, 
repeatedly by Evander Holyfield, and he had complained very much vociferously uh, in the first fight. Uh, and Mitch Halpern was the referee in the first fight against Holyfield. He felt that uh, Holyfield had butted him intentionally and created a big advantage. And Tyson uh, lost that fight, which was unexpected as well. So going into the rematch, uh, he had warned uh, Mills Lane, who was the referee for the second match, that this was going to happen. And then, of course, it did happen, and it created that huge gash. And so Tyson felt that it, it was intentional because he had warned the referee. Uh, Mills Lane ruled it to be an accident. Uh, so Tyson felt that if he wasn't going to get any help from the referee and a, a guy could illegally headbutt him, at least in his mind, that he had to do something to retaliate. So what he decided to do to retaliate was take off a part of his earlobe. Okay. <laughs> so if he was going to be in pain and suffer, then he was going to inflict pain and suffrage on his opponent. Um, that's how he was thinking. That's how he explained it. Well, it kind of sounds like a... Uh sort of a Mike Tyson moment, but it sounds, it sounded like an action filled night for you. It was, it was. So, you know, in his way of thinking, he was justified. His thinking is skewed and it's wrong and, and it was awful, but in his way of thinking, you know, that's, 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 that's what he related it to, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's almost, it's almost, you know, unfathomable uh, to people who are casual observers but to people in boxing, you know, not that, not, you know, despicable, absolutely. But Evander Holyfield really didn't go crazy because if you look all the way back into his history, he did bite another man in the ring. He bit him on the shoulder uh, when he was an amateur. So, so not only did he experience what it had been to feel uh, the bite, he had also bitten. So perhaps that's why he didn't go as crazy as, uh, as maybe somebody else would have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he got sort of the best of both worlds. Um, so the next question is, um, so um, at, a, at such a young age of 18 years old, uh, what was going through your head? To put that in perspective, you were five years older than me. And uh, when you were asked to interview one of the most popular and famous people on the planet, Muhammad Ali, what was that interview like? And what was Ali's reaction when someone so young and so talented interviewed him? Well, I had never done an, an an interview before Abner, and so I didn't um, I didn't and I didn't expect to do it. So I didn't have any time to prepare. But by the same token, I didn't have any time to get nervous and start thinking about all of those things that you just mentioned. Uh, I was in an edit booth, and they couldn't find anybody to interview Ali because he was two and a half hours early uh, to the destination. And if you if you can take yourself or we can take the audience back to that time machine to 1978, nobody had a cell phone. Nobody had a beeper. Nobody had a computer. Nobody had any of this modern technology. Okay, so if you did not answer your home telephone, people couldn't be reached. So they couldn't find the news anchors. They couldn't find the sports anchors. They couldn't find the sports reporters or the news reporters. And I was the only one in the station editing the Broncos uh, <coughs> show with Red Miller. He was their coach at the time. So she came running in. The assignment editor said, you were the sports intern. Go interview Muhammad Ali. He's two and a half hours early at the airport. <laughs> I went out there. He was going to fight uh, Leon Spinks. And then he was going to fight a Denver Bronco by the name of uh, Lyle Alzado in an exhibition in Denver. And so when I got there, I saw Ali and 
sat down and cameraman and, and everything was ready. And I asked the first question and the first thing out of his mouth, you're the one doing this interview. And everybody <laughs> in the entourage laughed. And when they all laughed, that just made me feel so comfortable because it, I, it was funny. And I laughed because it was funny. So I didn't feel he was <laughs> laughing at me. I thought that it, you know, it was just a funny circumstance and it was. So that just really get, made me comfortable and the people around him made me comfortable. So by the third or fourth question, he said to me, you sound like the local Howard Cosell. Well, Howard Cosell was the biggest sportscaster in the country. And when he wow. said that to me, that was like the greatest compliment anybody had ever given me because I had grown up much like you probably watch, you know, Bob Costas or or Mike Tirico or whoever it is that, you know, Scott Van Pelt, whoever it is yeah. you think's really good. You know, I had spent my whole uh, childhood watching Muhammad Ali with Howard Cosell. So, you know, when he said that, it was just great. Anyway, I took the tape back. He gave me 45 minutes. I went back into the booth and was editing myself out because there was no way they were going to put me on television. I just knew that. So the head of the station came in and he watched the videotape with me. Not once, but twice. So he spent an hour and a half looking at this and he got up and he said, you and this videotape are going on the air. It's barely wow. adequate. So I tell everybody, Avner, I've been barely adequate ever since. That's, that sounds like one crazy time, but I mean, pretty awesome. Do you think that um, if if your boss hadn't come in and asked you to interview him, you wouldn't be where you were today? Uh, probably would not, no. Um because when people saw that Ali interview, they sent it out to all the ABC stations and it got picked up everywhere. And Ali and the entourage recognized that. So he started giving me access before, to him before and after his fights. So that opened all the doors because if Muhammad Ali likes you and will give you access, everybody else sees that and says, wow, he, that's pretty good. So, uh, you know, would I, would I have had a decent career and been successful? I think I have a formula of, of how to work hard and how to be diligent and determined, but you need big breaks and you need people to mentor you and you need, you know, all of those things that, 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 that you can build upon to have a successful career. So would I be here on this with you? Um, probably not because had, had Ali not taken the time with me and had it not gone well, uh, then I probably would have had a career as a reporter, uh, but maybe not in the same form that it's taken. Yeah, I mean, but if, like you said, if Ali gives you a chance, everybody gives you a chance. So correct. I, well, they see that. That's awesome. They see that. So you know, and you gotta, and you gotta, you know, I recognize that, and uh, I've always been grateful to Ali, and. Uh, it was my first interview ever, and it was a great honor by him to have allowed me to do his last interview ever on television. Uh, that's how full circle we came with many, many in between. And so, you know, I've always, uh, you know, been been very, very grateful and, and thankful uh, to have had Ali in my life and his, uh, and his great wife, uh, Lonnie, uh, in, in, in all of these years that have passed. It must have been a great honor. Yes, terrific. Nothing quite like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't picture anything else. Um, so the next question is maybe one of the lesser known moments in your career. 
was when uh, President Nixon stopped you while you were walking in New York City. That's right, everyone. The current standing president at the time of the United States of America asked our guest today, Jim Gray, to step into his car and talk sports with him. What was that like, and what did you talk about with him? Well, I I was just walking down the street, and a man approached me in a car, and uh, uh, it was a tinted windows in a black in a black sedan. And I was walking down the street from where I was living in New York City on 72nd Street. And he said, are you Jim Gray? And I waved and I said, hey, how are you? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, I just kept walking. Well, the guy came back around the block a couple minutes later and he rolled down the window and tinted dark windows. He's, you're Jim Gray. And I said, yes, yes, sir, I am. We kind of established that and I just kind of smiled, but it, it just didn't look right to me with the tinted windows and, you know, the guy was wearing, you know, a hat and dark glasses. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just not getting too close to this car. Who knows what they want? Um, he said, come on over here. President Nixon wants to talk to you. And he rolled down the back window and there was Richard Nixon. And <laughs> That's so crazy. Said, wow, Jesus. So I got into the car with President Nixon and we talked for, oh, good 45 minutes plus. And he was, he knew everything about sports and baseball and the New York football giants. And he was talking and asking questions. And it was just, it was just an unbelievable experience because back then, uh, you know, Richard Nixon, I mean, Richard Nixon had ruined and destroyed our faith in government back in that time because of Watergate and, uh, yeah. and, and everything that had happened with him and his resignation. Uh, but this guy was a brilliant sports fan and a brilliant mind. Um, and, and so anyway, it was quite a thrill. And it was uh, quite an amazing experience. And I got out of the car and I didn't even go and get something to eat. I just went back and I was living at John Madden's place, Coach Madden. And, uh, wow. I, I went into the room where Madden was sitting. I said, you're not going to believe what happened, Madden. And he, I told him the story and he got up and he said, don't ever, don't ever BS Madden again. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? And he said, you don't, you don't BS Madden. I had Sistrunk and Matusak and all of these great Raider players who were terrific characters, but, you know, obviously gave him, you know, a crock of BS from time to time. And uh, he said, you just can't, you just can't BS Madden. And he walked out. And I said, well, why? I went, That's kind of weird. Like, why didn't, why did, why didn't he think that this happened? But anyway, it happened. And I kind of forgot about it. About a year later, Madden came walking into the room. He said, I'm sorry, I called you, called BS on you. And I said, what do you mean? And I just kind of looked at him, Abner, and he said, a year ago, I said BS on you regarding Richard Nixon. Well, I was just walking down 72nd Street, and I just spent an hour with Richard Nixon in the car <laughs> talking about sports. So that was that. It was a, it was a, it was a great experience, and then got to meet and uh, question uh, President Nixon again down at his uh, library in uh, Yorba Linda and, and uh, on another occasion as well. So well, it was a great experience. And it sounds like a great experience and very ironic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the next question is, so you've been lucky enough to interview all these incredible people that are beloved by all. So do you worry or carry the burden that you might not be able to answer the right question or miss out on the moment when talking to these amazing people? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, Thank you. you know, I've never, I've never thought of it as a burden. I thought of it as an honor. So I wanted to live up to that honor and not let the people that I work with 
or four or the audience down if I could. You know, that, you know, sometimes you do. Sometimes you're not at your best. And, and you know, you're always trying to learn and get better and do better next time than you did than you did last time. But the honor is being in front of them. And then by being prepared, by being diligent, dedicated, working hard, that leads to good luck. And the confluence of events that leads to the good luck uh, and, and enables you to keep going down that path so that you can, you know, have another opportunity. So when you're in front of these folks, you know, you're never going to be up to their level of achievement because these are the greatest of the greats. They're the goats. That's, you know, that's why it's called talking to goats. I was talking to goats, you know? Yeah. And so you just, you just want to, you just want to be your best. And like Bill Walton always says, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. That's what coach John Wooden instilled in him uh, with the pyramid of success, uh, which you should go look at and, and tell your, tell your classmates and, and, and your sister and so forth to read the pyramid of success by coach Wooden, uh, something that came out back in the sixties, uh, 1960s, uh, when I was a little boy, uh, younger than you. And, uh, that was one of the things, uh, uh, that, that, that he, he would give to his players about how to lead a successful life, not to be a successful player. Uh, that was, that was more ancillary to coach Wooden, but if you had a successful life, you would be a successful player. So it's not a burden. It's an honor. And, uh, you just want to try and be up to the task. I think you have a very good view on that. I, I, I agree with you there. I was interested to see what your answer is going to be. I think that's an amazing answer. Thank you. <laughs> so after studying the greatest sports players of all time, the GOATs, upon years of years, what do you think are they all have in common? Is it their work ethic? Is it their drive? What, what do they all have in common? I would say it's those two things. And I would say it's their inability to be a, be distracted. You know, many of us in, 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 in society now have the attention span of a gnat. You know, it used to be a 24-hour news cycle, Abner. Now it's a 24-second shot clock. Somebody sends out a tweet and everybody reacts to it. When you're trying to be the best yeah. at whatever it is that you do, and in, and in my line of work, I've been able to, you know, talk to the goats because they've been pursuing this excellence. They're trying to be the best at what it is they, they, they have done, whether it was Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali or Kobe Bryant. They don't get distracted. You know, doesn't mean they don't have quirks or flaws in their personalities. We all do. Doesn't mean they're perfect people. Nobody is. But they're trying to get there and they're spending almost every waking hour dedicated to that, okay? So yes, they probably like to have spent more time doing whatever it is that they have an interest in or pursuing more time with their family or per pursuing, you know, other, other activities, but they didn't do it. They stayed true to what it was that they were trying to achieve. And, um, 
whether it was whether it was Floyd Mayweather keeping that zero after his name or Michael Phelps staring at that black line so that he could touch that end board by a fingernail or an eyelash before somebody else did, or or whether it was Tiger Tiger Woods hitting you know uh, you know five hundred more balls uh, than 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 to make sure that he got it right, or Tom Brady making sure that his footwork and everything was. Uh, uh, totally in unison before he left the field, they all, they all were going to do that, which was more important than anything else that they had going on. And they weren't distracted. So that's how I would answer that question, Mr. Belsky. I agree. Yeah, you got to be dedicated and dedicated from day one to to the end and you got to keep your focus. I agree. Um, so in your book, Talking to Goats, you mention many of the greatest players of all time. And it got me wondering, what do you think the greatest sports era of all time is? Oh, that's a good question, too. You did all this on your own. You're, you're, you're quite an impressive young man. Very good. Thank you so much. Very good question. What is the most impressive era of all time? Well, I would say the, the, the inclination would be to answer that the era that we are in because the athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. They have better technology. Uh, it's more of a science. They have, um, well, you know, the evolution of sports is to get better and to have better nutrition and to have better equipment and to, you know, have better competition. So I would probably say that it's now, but that's not to dismiss and say that X, Y, or Z great player from another era Bill Russell would be a great player today, okay, because he would have all of the ability that he had back then and all of the talent and all of that drive, um, and, he, and he would adapt to what it is the standards of training and nutrition and everything else are for today. So I would say the best era is today, but that doesn't mean that that necessarily would disqualify any certain athlete from their period of time, because if you put if you put Michael Jordan into the era uh, back with 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 Oscar Robertson, he would have to conform to what it was the standard as of then to try and set a higher standard. But he wouldn't be starting in the 1980s. He'd be starting in the, with what things were like in the 1950s. So it's almost an impossible question to answer. Uh, but I would have to say that today. Today is the best era because because of everything I just explained. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, as you say in your book, you have Tom Brady, who, I mean, completely changed his diet. He sleeps in, like, compression pajamas, like, he works out differently because he wants to play to 45. And then you have Michael Jordan, who's just a clutch player in general. So, I mean, there's there, as you said, they're bigger, stronger, faster today. But that you don't you don't take away the achievements that Michael Jordan reached with his three-peat. So I would say this. I would say this, Abner. The best way to sum up that question would be Kobe Bryant. In the last interview he did in the Lakers uniform was with me on Fox. And I asked him a question. Now that it's over, Kobe, how do you want to be remembered? And he said, I want to be remembered as a guy who was given all the talent in the world and worked as though he had none. That That's a great yep. quote right there. And I agree with that. 
actually brings me to my next question. Do you ever have a feeling that the interview you just participated in will have even more significance than you expected? For example, the interview you did with Kobe after his 60 points in his last game turned out to matter so much more due to his passing and his impact on society. Do you ever just have that moment where you sense greatness? Well, I, I hear things in sound bites. So I hear things that I know will be headlines or newsworthy or are things that guys haven't said before. So when you talk about historical impact, something great has to have happened, you know, um, for, for that to be played and replayed uh, over and over again. So the event itself has to have that or, or the, or the, um, quote or, 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 or the interview has to have said something that, you know, resonates with people. And usually those you don't know, you know, it happens either after that event has, has just occurred or it becomes something, you know, that takes on a life of its own. And if you look at what's popular with the public, uh, isn't always historical. It's something that they laugh at, or it's something that amuses them, or it's something that they gain a little insight from or a piece of wisdom. Um, you can just look at all of these Tyson interviews. You know, I broke my back. What do you mean? Spinal. Okay. So that's, that's just played tens of millions of times over and over and over again. Okay. Or the ear biting, or, you know, I want to rip his heart out and, you know, feed it to his children or, you know, um, or, or it can be something that's, you know, really, uh, you know, that very poignant and makes you sad, like what Kobe had to say, because who would have thought that we would be in the position just a couple of short years later of having that being replayed so often because, you know, nobody would have ever anticipated, particularly somebody my age that, you know, we wouldn't have Kobe for the rest of our lives. And, you know, it's, it's, there's an unnatural progression there that happened where he passed before, you know, well before his time. So I don't, I don't think to answer your question, you always know it. Um, you know, it if somebody retires, you know, it if somebody says something they hadn't said or has tremendous wisdom uh, in what they've said uh, or, or if they make you laugh. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I agree with that 100%. Well, that was all of our questions for today. Thank you so much, Mr. Gray, for joining me on my podcast today. It was truly an honor and a pleasure having the opportunity to talk with the real GOAT. That was me, Abner Belsky, interviewing Jim Gray.